Welcome to Through the Smoke, a Miami Hurricanes podcast on 24-7 Sports. I'm Andrew Ivins, joined today by David Lake, and this is episode one. It's actually episode number two because we had to re-record the first episode, but that's part of the growing pains with this podcast. Um, David, we've been talking about doing this for a while now. Uh, It's finally here. Um, Are you excited? Because I am. Yeah, I think it'll be fun. I think... So the first recording didn't work out, and man, we are firing some hot takes. So <laughs> hopefully we can keep it up for this one, and should be fun, like Andrew alluded to, bear with us as we figure this podcast thing out. Um, yeah, but my goal is to have fun, talk about the major storylines, talk about some of the newsy stuff that's going on with Miami football and recruiting. So let's get to it. Yeah, I mean, we don't really know what the schedule we are going to have for this i think you know the goal is at least going to be one a week uh here from the jump but we like this because me and you are kind of control of when we post and whatnot and uh we're not the liberty of someone else so i think it's going to be a lot easier to turn and burn some stuff out especially when there's recruiting news or uh, a transfer portal or, or something like that um so let's like you said let's get right into this um david we're about I think 11 days now into preseason camp that that Florida game is inching closer and closer. I think one of the biggest storylines this week has been the arrival of Bubba Bolden, um, the former blue chip uh, four star recruit safety at USC. He played a, a couple games there before being dismissed, ended up at a junior college, linked up with the Hurricanes. And, and now he's uh, in Coral Gables. My question to you, do you think he's going to be ready Uh, for that Florida game, and do you think we're going to see him on the field? So I don't expect him to get on the field on defense in that Florida game. I just think we're basically two and a half weeks away from that game. He's technically not even practicing yet. I think he's still working through the process of getting enrolled and cleared by the NCAA. Now he is around practice. He's watching stuff and certainly around the team. But in terms of actually participating in practice, he's not even there yet. So I think there's going to be a, a learning curve with him with the new defense and and understanding what Miami wants from their secondary and, and the safety spot. Uh, but with that said, I mean, I do think he will be on the field with special teams uh, in that Florida game. And then I think you'll you'll increasingly see his role grow with each game each week. And I think maybe by the second half of the season, I think he could really challenge for a starting spot, maybe even be the starter. I just think he's that big of a talent. Uh, and I think the pairing of him and Gervin Hall should definitely excite Miami fans as as being two ultra-talented guys there on the back end. Well, I, I guess you bring up Gervin Hall and start there. I mean, let's kind of take a step back and look at the safety competition. I mean, Miami the past two seasons have, have had, or, or they had, uh, Sheldrick Redwine and Jaquan Johnson back there, two very reliable guys. They never really gave up uh, a bunch of deep plays, and now both of them are in the NFL playing in, in preseason games. So um, what is your overall assessment of that of that safety battle? I know you mentioned Gervin Hall. Uh, I think we can kind of pencil him in, in as one of the starting safeties. Who do you think the other guy is going to be, and just where, where do you think that, that unit is and everything like that? Yeah, so against Florida, I expect the other starter to be Amari Carter still. I think, you know, Derek Smith has definitely emerged during this camp, and he's definitely improved compared to what we've seen during his UM career, and he's he's making plays at practice. He is. He's getting some reps with the first-team defense, as is Robert Knowles. Uh, but for the most part, 
I get the sense that it's mainly Gervin and Amari uh, playing with the first team defense. And look, if Amari does play well against Florida, and, and honestly, there's no reason to believe he shouldn't, uh, he he might hold on to that starting job the whole the whole season. He make it he might make it tough for for Bubba to crack the starting lineup because Amari certainly has some intriguing skill sets with his explosive hitting ability and he he is an athletic guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the very least, I do think Amari is going to be a guy who even if Bubba Bolden does end up overtaking him for a starting job, I think Amari is going to carve out a role maybe in that dime defense where he's kind of a, a safety that's in the box that can rush the passer like we saw last year or try and confuse a quarterback with, with dropping back and, and giving those looks. My whole thought process kind of with this safety thing is, I know I've kind of had this conversation with you before, is I, I like what Miami has in the room. I mean, they're, they're Amari Carter, Gervin Hall, those were talented recruits. I just think the issue is is they have a lot of guys that are good in the box, and I'm concerned – about them not having someone that can be that last man that can, can get across the field and, and kind of bat down some balls, be that that safety valve, that last resort. I think from what I saw out of Bubba Bolden in high school, he might be that guy. So I think it would make a lot of sense for him to come in. You know, you shift Gervin Hall, who's who's a, a very physical guy into the box. And then when you go into that dime and nickel situation, we saw that package a lot last year where they kind of rushed Amari Carter uh, I think it would really work out. I mean, I don't really know what to think about Derek Smith. Um, I know that first week at camp, he he they they kept talking about all the turnovers he made. We saw one of them. He picked off Tate Martell. I just kind of have nightmares about him in that and that Clemson game two years ago when he was thrown out there as a true freshman and they just kind of tore him up. Yeah, they've said you know Derek Smith has has dropped ten to fifteen pounds and that's helped his quickness and speed. And he's kind of always been a guy who's had ball skills because he played wide receiver in high school. So if the ball's in his area, he more than likely he's coming down with it. And we're seeing that so far in camp. But like you alluded to, I, I do think, you know, it, there is a concern like who's going to step up and be kind of the rangy uh, safety that Sheldrick Redwine was the last two years. I I do think uh, Gervin Hall can be that guy. He's not. Like body type wise, he's not super lengthy, not super long, but I think he plays with pretty good instincts and, and pretty good speed. And I think he shows the ability to read the quarterback, which we saw in high school. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see if Gervin can step up and fulfill that role against Florida, I think. So we're not really sure what Bubba Bolden's role will be uh, against the Gators week zero in Orlando. Two other transfers, though, that I think we can definitely kind of pencil in are Trayvon Hill, um, the edge rusher out of Virginia Tech, and Chigoze Naruka, uh, the defensive tackle from UCLA. Uh, defensive line coach Todd Stroud, he met with the media on Tuesday. Couldn't pronounce Chigoze's name, so I'm gonna I'm saying it for him. Uh, but he spoke highly of both these guys. Are you ready to say that these guys are going to start, or, or what are your thoughts? I mean, when I see Trayvon Hill out there, I think, you know, holy, uh, we, we said, I said back in the spring that this, this, this group was lacking size. And now they got this guy who looks like, um, a, a first round pick. He has the potential to be. So do you think Trayvon Hill starts and what can we expect from him? And, and I guess the same for Chigoze. Yeah. I, I personally don't think either of them will start, but with that being said, they will play starter level snaps. So I think both are going to be kind of worked into the game with that second unit, um, 
But I think they're going to play just as many snaps as the starters because that's kind of the goal of, of what Miami wants to do. Uh, they want to play eight to ten guys on the defensive line. And then I think, you know, once once it gets to the fourth quarter, you kind of just play the hot hand. So I, if Trevon Hill's having a, a great game against Florida in the fourth quarter, he might play more than the starter does. And he might end up with more snaps than the starter does at the end of the game. So both guys are, are certainly going to add to the depth. Both guys look like they're going to be key players. Uh, like you alluded to, Trevon Hill is very impressive looking guy on the edge. I'm excited to see him operate in what I expect to be the Viper role that they're installing, which is like the stand-up edge rusher guy that's becoming trendy in college football and, and all of football, really, as as teams try and defend spread offenses. So I think I think Trevon Hill is definitely going to be a big-time guy. Chigozi, they're excited about his athleticism, too, uh, as a three technique. And we can see that, too, by the way he moves during the little positional drills that we get to watch uh, during the media viewing period. I guess, what are your kind of expectations, Andrew? I guess, uh, I remember you telling me one Miami staffer (laughs) had an interesting note on Trevon. Yeah, this was kind of at the start of camp, um, just some, some guy that... You know, on staff, they kind of mentioned to me that Trayvon Hill, uh, they kind of view him as looks like Joe Jackson moves like John Garvin. And I thought that was a uh, interesting line that I've, I've been kind of saving and haven't really put out there. But I mean, it makes sense. I mean, you look at Trayvon Hill physically, he's there. Uh, I know Coach uh, Coach Stroud and Coach Diaz and them have been saying that they're still trying to get him up to conditioning speed. I think uh, he really wasn't able to work out with the team and go through the offseason conditioning there in the summer months because he was still finishing up some classes at Virginia Tech. And then he had the uh, was still rehabbing the shoulder. But I think they're trying to get him up to speed. And um, but, man, if they, he can get it together, I mean, he's just I, I think he's personally a guy if they had to, they could slide him inside in certain situations. And, you know, he can take on a, a center and a guard and get to the quarterback. But uh, he's pretty to look at. He, he's got some moves. And when you pair him with with Garvin on the other side and Scott Patch and, and Jafari Harvey, it's like, wow, that is really a strength of the team. Same same with Chigoze Naruka. I, I think initially there was some panic from from Kane's nation just about Nesta going down. But it's like, well, Miami kind of not not prepared itself for this, but knew that they had to bring in a veteran body. And I think Chigoze uh, is a lot further along than we thought. And I think he's a guy who has a chance to really make an impact in the system, see, similar to what Tito did uh, last year. Yeah, I kind of expect uh, Chigozi to be their second-best defensive tackle this year, to be honest. I think John Ford is poised to be their best guy, and Chigozi I expect to be the second-best. I think Chigozi will still probably work with the second-team D-line primarily, and, and it'll be a look where you have John Ford kind of controlling things on the inside with the first team D line. And then when they rotate, it'll be Chigozzi's turn to be the playmaker at D tackle with the second team. So I think those two additions are going to be big time. You're right. Like to me, Trevon Hill looks like an NFL guy just body type wise and, and the way he moves, I think he's going to be a big time addition. And, you know, this defensive line ever since Manny Diaz has, has been hired as a defensive coordinator at Miami it's been a productive unit. They've always been top 10 in the country in tackles for loss every season and and top 15, I think, every season in sacks. So, and I think that'll continue this year with, even though they're losing guys like Joe Jackson and Gerald Willis, which is crazy, I think 
this year's defensive line has a chance to be just as productive. All right, let's flip side or flip to the other side of the ball. I think one of the other big storylines coming out of this week was uh, John Campbell working at right tackle with the first team offensive line. Um, throughout camp, we'd kind of seen Kyleon Herbert there. Um, and it's really been the same, the, the rest of the spots of the line. It's been Zion Nelson at, at left tackle. Um, I think it's DJ Scaife at, at left guard, Corey Gaynor at center, uh, Navon Donaldson at, at right guard. So coming out of that first scrimmage they held last weekend, um, the, the, the big change was John Campbell. Your initial thoughts about them giving the redshirt freshman uh, some, some snaps out there on the right side. I was I was surprised to be honest because I, I mean I thought Kyleon was kind of holding his own just from what we had seen the little bit of practice and you know look I do I think he's he's an all ACC level tackle no he's got some work to do but I think he was the best option they had so to me it was surprising to see John Campbell out there with the first unit uh, maybe that was an indication of how things went uh, with the first scrimmage of the of fall camp. And, you know, I know you observed something interesting after that practice that might give a little insight. Maybe it was a, a motivational tactic, but tell, tell, uh, tell our <laughs> listeners what you saw. Yeah, well, we were all standing there waiting to do uh, interviews on, um, on Tuesday, and uh, Butch Berry was scheduled to meet with the media, and I think everyone else was interviewing. It was either Todd Stroud or... Uh, Coach Stubbs and I was just kind of observing what was going on inside the IPF and I saw Kylie on come up to Butch Berry and it was a very odd kind of interaction between the two. It seems like Kylie on was upset with Butch Berry and Butch Berry didn't really want to talk with him and I don't know. I don't really know what to make with the of the situation. I'm sure this probably happens all the time, but just to see it kind of in real time uh, was interesting. Um, I think maybe this is a, a motivational tactic of sorts. Uh, maybe maybe Barry's trying to push Kylie on by by trying out uh, John Campbell over there. I mean, I go back to week one of practices when they had that open practice and uh, we had a chance to just watch everything. I remember I spent about 10 minutes uh, just watching O-line, D-line, one-on-ones. I you know ran across the field, got out the binoculars and saw that. And I thought Kylie on Herbert had three excellent reps against Scott Patchen. I, I don't think Scott Patchen is, you know, John Garvin or Trayvon Hill, but I was just impressed with his kick step, his initial punch. It seems like he's kind of reworked his body. I mean, this is, he's starting to look like the guy we thought he might be coming out of high school. And then for them to just rip him out and, and insert John Campbell in there, I think it was a little surprising. So, um, you know, the staff keeps mentioning that competition is what they want because they think that's how they're going to get the best out of everyone. Uh, so I'm interested to see if that's what kind of that moves about and, and what it looks like after uh, scrimmage two, uh, the depth chart. So with all this being said, you know, before knowing how the second scrimmage goes, who would you predict is the starting right tackle against Florida? I think it's going to be Kylie on Herbert. I think you would agree with me. And yeah. What do you, I mean, what do you think at left tackle? At this point, it seems like, you know, Zion Nelson's going to be the guy. I mean, it's seems know, like they're locked into Zion. Yeah, right. I mean, I mean, it seems like they really like him. And, you know, Butch Berry's all about athleticism and length at, at the left tackle spot. And if that's your primary criteria and you, you know, not super concerned about the experience factor, then Zion Nelson is you could make the argument he's really the only true left tackle Miami has on the roster, to be honest. 
Absolutely. And I know this is not what Miami fans really want to hear, but I mean, you get through that, that Florida game and then it's like, dude, you got, assuming he's what they think he is. I mean, that's your left tackle for the next three seasons at at least. And like that should almost, I mean, there's going to be a growing pain initially, but I mean, long-term, wow, that could pay off. Yeah. And you know, there's things they can do to scheme up to to hide Zion a little bit. They can always throw some tight ends, H backs. Which over they there. will, I think so. For sure. For sure. And they'll get the ball out quick too. So, you know, look, it's gonna be they're gonna throw him into the fire and it's not gonna be an easy game for him. But at the same token, like he is facing John Garvin, Trevon Hill every practice. So he'll he'll be ready, game ready for that type of talent. All right, we've gone, I think I don't, I've lost. I, I don't have a timer in front of me, but we haven't talked about the quarterbacks yet. Um, obviously, this is one of the the when you you everyone everyone asks about quarterbacks. Every radio hit I do, anytime anyone talks to me is about quarterbacks. Um, so we're this far into camp. We got the scrimmage upcoming this weekend. Just where do you kind of think stand with the quarterbacks right now? I mean, are you team Nicosi? Are you team Tate? Are you, are you team Jaron? Are, are you sipping that Kool-Aid that someone's, <laughs> you know, stirring up here this week or, or what? Well, let me just say on the front end, like I could honestly care less who does win the job. But in terms of just like what my eyes tell me from what I see with watching practice and and certainly this camp, I just do my best to focus on the quarterbacks every single practice and how they look. You know, I would give a slight edge to Nikosi Perry. I think I think he's still the best guy, to be honest, in terms of just throwing the ball uh, down the field and with accuracy. Now, is he significantly better than the other two? No. I mean, it's very close. I think it's it's splitting hairs, to be honest. And I'll say this, too. Like, I think I think during the one on one sessions and I think during the seven on seven sessions, Nikosi is clearly the best guy. But then once they start going into 11 on 11 work and you bring the defensive line to the equation, Nikosi kind of drops back to the pack and he plays to a similar level. I, I think still slightly better, but similar level that we see from Tate and Jaron. So, you know, I, and by all accounts that we got from, from the first scrimmage, it seemed like none of the guys really separated all that much. Uh, all the guys did some good things. All the guys did some bad things. So it'll be interesting to see it, this second scrimmage. Does any one of those guys really take the reins and, and separate from the rest of the pack? Uh, and look, I think you could make an argument for any one of the three. I personally would go with Nikosi. I understand why the UM fan base craves something different. I'm not necessarily a fan of Nikosi. It wasn't wasn't very enjoyable to watch last year. Uh, but with that being said. Personally, I still think he's the best one that that we see out in practice. I think you kind of hit it right there in the head. I think Miami is absolutely hoping and banking on one of these guys going out uh, this upcoming weekend and, and making it extremely hard for them to say no. I mean, I know Manny at, at media days, and then I think he said it at the start of camp, was uh, kind of conveying that they wanted to have um, – a decision two weeks in, and he he almost didn't walk back that statement uh, earlier this week, but he almost made it seem like, well, we might not make it public who who we are picking as the guy, and that's just I think an indicator about how close this is right now. I really think, um, I think it's tight. I really do. I think 
no one has made this this easy. Um, when we came in into the camp, I thought for sure Nikosi was going to be the guy, and then I saw Tate throw on air. He seemed to have tightened it up, talked to some people uh, on the team, and they, they they said that you know Tate off the field has really been a uh, had a, a a leader of sorts, and I think Miami's looking for that. Then the, then there was the scrimmage, and and the more this is kind of dragged on, I, I'm kind of talking myself back into Nikosi being the guy just because uh, it's week zero, entire country's watching, eighty, I think five thousand in, in Camping World Stadium, and are you really going to throw a, 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 yeah. a Jaron Williams or a Tate Martell who's starting their first college game with a true freshman left tackle out there? I mean, that's asking. A lot, and the and the other thing in all this is, we've never seen Manny Diaz coach uh, as a head coach. I mean, does he want to play ball ball control conservative? Because I think a guy like Tate Martell kind of favors that, where you're running more of a more more runs, shorter passes, or are you really gonna just just let roll the dice with Nikosi? I mean, he he he's he, yeah, he's gonna make some great throws, but and the time after time, we've seen some pretty bad decisions. Yeah, I think that's the thing. A, a Tate Martell offense is going to be ball control, short passing game, quick game, and they're going to use his ability to run, you know, throws outside the pocket and design runs. And look, I think one thing that is clear is that Tate is the guy, the best so far of the three in terms of protecting the ball. Uh, now he's not going to really push the ball down the field much. So defenses will be able to creep up and kind of keep things in a 10 to 15 yard box, which is, you know, going to be a challenge for any offense. I'll say so. OK, let me ask you this question, Andrew. Um, if it's third down and eight, who do you want as your quarterback? I mean, I think in that situation you want Nikosia as your quarterback. But on first and second down, I think I want Tate as my quarterback. I, yeah, I, I don't know. And we're not even talking about Jaron Williams. I think. He's a guy that, I mean, for some reason, he's like the forgotten guy in this whole race. And I think from a pure prototype, I mean, if you look at him, you saw him in high school, he's probably the best of the bunch. I mean, if we were just drafting yeah. what they did in high school, I mean, he's he's taller. He throws a great ball. And it's, I just, for me with him, I just think he's still a year away. And I don't know why. I, I don't know if I'm making excuses. It just seems like it's not it's not there yet. I think he holds on to the ball from what we've seen in these yeah. practices a little too long, but he could be the safest bet of the bunch in terms of just doing what they they as the coaches want to do. Um, yeah, to but, me, like like Jaron is right there. Like he is in the mix. Let's not act like he's not. Um, to me, the best argument for Jaron is more so like he's right there. And he's the youngest one. So, you know, and, and this is a new coach. It's a new it's a new regime, so to speak. So typically when that happens, those those coaches will go with the youngest guy because it's a chance to build something. Uh, now, he's only a year younger, so it's not like a, a significant difference that way. But uh, to me, that's the case for Jaron. But, yeah, I'm with you. Like, Personally, I hope if Jaron doesn't end up winning the job, I hope he sticks around one more year and really works at developing like he has since January. And uh, I think if he does that come this time next year, he could overtake either Nikosi or Tate if they do end up as the starter. So before we move on to recruiting, let me just ask you, it sounds like we both like our eyes tell us Nikosi. Who do you expect Manny Diaz to name? The starter. I think I think it's. Oh, I don't know. I think it's going to be 
Kosey. I mean, I, I think it, it would make a lot of sense for him to pick Tate, but I just, like I said, I mean, are you really comfortable rolling out a guy starting his first, first college game? So I, I'm going to go with Nikosi now, um, but that, that's not confident. Like I said, I've gone back and forth. Yeah, you know, I'll guess, I'll guess Tate. Day. I think it's yeah. looking like Tate. And I don't know. Well, I just, you got to explain why, because you've told me why you think it's Tate. I mean, I, I, you got to bring up the fact that Diaz was on the staff last year with yeah. Nikosi. No, I think, look, and I do think there's been a... So when Manny Diaz says, you know, everyone gets a fresh start, all that kind of stuff, I don't think it's just lip service. But you can't overlook the fact that Manny Diaz was on last year's staff. So he knows kind of what all the warts were, so to speak, with Nikosi Perry last year as as the starter quarterback and guy who necessarily didn't take the job super seriously last year. Um, and that's something that Manny Diaz has said. He really wants from his starting quarterback. He wants a, a, a leader, a guy who's going to live it um, every day and, and put the work in. And I do think Nikosi has taken strides with that since January uh, and Jaron too. But I think, you know, Manny Diaz talks about the new Miami TNM and is he going to send uh, that type of message if he starts Nikosi Perry? I don't know. I just, yeah. I think, I think he's going to go with Tate. Uh, Martell would be very on brand for TNM. I'm, I'm assuming the announcers would definitely talk up his, his girlfriend and all that. It, it would just fit right <laughs> into it. No doubt. I mean, it would be fun. It, we'll, who knows if it works. And I'll say this, like one of the big elements with Tate, of course, is his running ability. And from what we get to watch in practice, that's not really happening because quarterbacks aren't live. So he's being asked to operate from the pocket and, and throw like a traditional pro-style quarterback almost. And that's not his strength. Like he is by far the third guy when doing that. So who knows how that looks in scrimmages when he's able to run around and use his legs. And that could be the X factor that maybe pushes him over the top. Absolutely. So we're back from the break, and we're gonna we're gonna talk some recruiting now with Andrew, um, who was at the this past weekend. The Miami Dolphins hosted the South Florida High School Media Day, which allows for pretty much all the top local recruits come through and, and get their day with the media, take some photos, do some interviews, and it's a good opportunity to to kind of get a feel for where things are and the recruiting landscape going into this football season, the high school football season. So Andrew, just starting it off big picture wise, uh, how would you say kind of, what was the vibe with, with my, the state of Miami's recruiting right now going into this season? Well, don't ask some of the other writers on this beat. They'll tell you it's, you know, DEFCON, you know, five end of the world, just because some of the Underclassmen kids were saying that, you know, the recruitments are still open. But if you've been in the South Florida scene, uh, I don't know, any time in the past 10 years, that's just kind of the general rule of thumb. I mean, I don't know how many kids are actually committed committed uh, that early in the stage. But my big takeaway from um, just the, this past Saturday is that Miami's in a, you know, I think most of their 2020 kids are, are pretty solid. Uh, I think just in general right now, recruiting's in a, in a good spot. I mean, they got 23 commits in the class of 2020, um, so they're they're pretty much full. Now they just got to win games and hold on to guys and um, and close at, at some certain positions. I mean, there was a few targets there at, at the thing 
thing, but I think compared to years past, it didn't seem like there was a, a, as much open kids and them hoping, um, you know, us trying to track down Scoop. It's just like those guys are already committed. I mean, I think in a year's past, Elijah Roberts would have definitely been an interview I needed. Uh, but now Elijah Roberts sure. is already committed just because Miami already got him in the boat. I mean, same Don, Don Chaney as well and and stuff like that. So, um, I mean, that doesn't mean there weren't some storylines. I think Marcus Fleming, he spoke for the first time since he was at Florida State. He says that things are all good with, uh, with Miami. And I tend to believe him here a little bit. Uh, I'm not sure how many schools outside of Florida State are really pushing for him, but he was at Miami for uh, one of the practices right before the the the, the contact period ended. Uh, and I know he's got a real good relationship with David Cooney. I think there's some some family ties there, so it was good to hear that. Um, and, and then the Jaden Francois thing. I think he's he he's another one. A lot of people are talking about. He mentioned that he's probably still going to take an official visit to Ohio State. And I, I wrote a couple months ago that. You know the Buckeyes were involved in it, and everyone bashed me. But I mean, they're they're certainly a threat, uh, and they're in there. Yeah, I guess. Um, so with with Ohio State, I know Jaden is passionate about playing safety at the college level, and he's a guy who could pro- probably get away with playing corner too. Uh, you know, Miami's definitely made it clear that they want him at safety. Where, where does Ohio State like him in your mind? I think they are going to tell him safety, but. I don't know. I saw a lot of Ohio State defensive back commits out out there at the at the opening. I think he would make a lot of sense of as corner for them. The thing with with Ohio State is Jaden told me that they hadn't sent him uh, an official offer letter, and that doesn't mean much. I mean, you can send them at any point, but August first is the first day you can send them out. And normally, even if you're on the fence uh, with a kid, or I mean, if you don't have space for him now, but he's a kid you want, you normally send one of those out. And he said he hadn't got one, so. Uh, I still think there's a good chance he stays with Miami. I'm not saying, you know, this won't happen. I mean, go back to, to was it last cycle or when Marcus Crowley, Crowley was all Miami and all of a sudden he takes an official visit and he flips and signs with the Buckeyes. Um, so I think there it's a, it's a situation to monitor. Miami just needs to show him that the new Miami's real um, and that, you know, Manny's the right coach because I think – Jaden really likes Manny. I think he really likes Ephraim Banda. I think he likes the style of play uh, the Hurricanes have on defense. So at the end of the day, Miami, in my opinion, to keep him committed, just can't come out uh, and go six and six. I mean, they're going to have to, sure. uh, you know, get as close as they can to that double-digit win mark. So we can talk about some 2021s you you caught up with at, at Dolphins Media Day, but let's folk let's stick with safety. And uh, you know, it seems like. Some dominoes are falling in terms of Miami targets that are getting ready to maybe announce or commit. And why don't you take us through that? So Miami has Francois on the boat at safety right now. Kind of where are things lining up at safety in general for this class right now with some of their targets? Well, well, like I said, they got 23 in the boat. And I think, you know, I I reported that I was hearing, you know, uh, a a couple days ago that this could get up to 28. So... Um, immediate needs. We know that they, they got to add another safety to this class. They got to add probably another offensive tackle and then a wide receiver. After that, it's going to come to what we'll call, or one staffer told me unicorns. I mean, guys that are, are big time talents that they'll, they'll find space for and make the numbers work. So safety, they got to close somewhere here. Um, Ladarius Tennyson, he's a kid that uh, out of Rockledge over there on the space coast, uh, a top two, four, seven kid, not the biggest kid out there. 
but I think pound for pound, probably the top player in the state. Um, I was at his spring jamboree. He just does a lot of different good, a lot of good yeah. things on both sides of the ball. I mean, he's all over the field, plays in the box, uh, you know, plays running back. He he recently tweeted out that he's going to make a decision here, quote unquote, soon. I spoke to his high school coach, and he's saying it's probably going to be uh, early September. Right now, I'm thinking it's uh, Auburn. My my crystal ball is foggy, uh, but if I had to put one in today, I think it's for Auburn. So um, it would be a blow for Miami for him to definitely uh, pick the Tigers. But I, the, you know, I what I think. Manny and his staff have, have done a nice job of is they've developed some backup plans. And I think those backup plans might actually be not as good as Ladarius Tennyson, but there isn't much drop off. And the first one I want to bring up is, is Brian Ballone, a safety out of Miramar local kid. I know uh, David, you saw him at, at paradise camp. Um, but I like him. I like him a lot. I, I first saw him at, at, at a camp at, at Florida Atlantic university. He's a very late bloomer. Uh, Miramar is not churning out as many kids as they have in the past. I don't think it's one of the first stops, uh, but he's, he's a four, six kid in the 40 yard dash, super long. Uh, I mean, didn't, didn't you tell me you saw him make a bunch of plays uh, there yeah. inside the IPF? Yeah. Paradise camp. He, they were doing some seven on seven work and it was like back to back reps. Uh, Balome came off the hash, went to the sideline and I think he batted down a pass and then picked off a pass. And Immediately after making those two plays, Manny Diaz beelined it to Ephraim Banda. And I would assume they talked about the decision to offer him that night, which, you know, after making those two impressive plays, they decided to make a move. And I think, you know, if there's one if there's one position that South Florida annually produces under the radar guys who are big time players, it's at DB. And I think Balone might be that kind of guy for this recruiting cycle. So let's say... Tennyson, you know, picks Auburn here in uh, what's, we're, we're August. Tell 8th, me this. Recording. Tell me this with with Tennyson. Not that it really matters if you don't land them, but do you think Miami would be second, or do you think Florida would be second? I think Miami second. I know Florida is in there, but uh, that's just my personal. I mean, I think Miami has done a nice job with uh, his parents, but uh, right now I'm just. I'm not seeing it. Like, I mean, he decommitted for a reason. I, I can't see him taking all these visits and then kind of circling back on Miami. I, I will say, though, more with the, the, the Bloom thing. I mean, I, I love Jaden Francois. I know you love Jaden Francois. But at the end of the day, Jaden really isn't the biggest kid out there. Then you're pairing him in the class with Ladarius Tennyson, who really isn't right. the biggest kid out there. At least with Brian Bloom, uh, if they went that route. He's a he's a bigger type kid, and then the other safety we haven't even mentioned is Avante Williams, the the cousin of Lorenzo Lingard. Um, he was on campus for Paradise Camp, worked out, which I thought was was pretty notable. Um, he's committed to Oregon, says he's probably going to return to Miami for an official visit. What a lot of people don't know is Miami Miami almost got him down for that Miami Nights event uh, two weeks ago. So uh, I think Florida and Georgia probably have the better chance right now of flipping him. Um, from Oregon, but Miami's going to keep chipping away and they'll definitely probably get him on an official visit when we get closer to that early signing period. I'm a big Avante Williams fan. I think, I think he's an absolute freak. I think he is a top 100 player, I believe according to the composite, but I think even still he's underrated, man. Like he can really hit as a safety. And I think honestly, you could make the argument. He is the best corner in the state as well if he wanted to go play corner he could go do that because he's so athletic and fast and moves his hips well enough to to play corner so 
he's a guy Miami should continue to take to take swings at. Whether or not they can land him, who knows? But he's he's that elite level unicorn type you were alluding to earlier that that Miami should continue to recruit. Yeah, I was just going to say that that whole unicorn or you just find space for those guys. And the last name I think we need to mention at safety is Jalen Harrell. Um, he's a kid who was at Miami Central, transferred this offseason to Hylia Champagnat uh, Catholic. So he's going a few classes, classifications down. He's a Florida State commit, uh, but I kind of got it out of him that he's still talking with Miami. Uh, Miami likes him at safety. He knows that. Um, so I think if if Tennyson goes in that other direction, you know, Bloom's not the only guy. This you also have Jalen Harrell that's in the mix, and uh, Florida State apparently has some policy where they're not letting their commits visit uh, other places. I mean, I don't know if that's true, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if Miami sneaks him out onto campus sometime soon, as he seems to like. Or he was a guy before he committed to Florida State that was at Miami a lot, so I can see them kind of rekindling that uh, that relationship. He's impressive because he's like a. I like his big frame. Like he's got a big, like you talk about SEC type body types. To me, he's like an SEC body type at DB. Like he's a big frame. I think it's still filling out. And to yeah. me, like, you know. He's like a Bubba Bolden. Right. Yeah. Big, long, fill out nicely. I guess one more guy I want to ask you about, Andrew, is Javante Royal at St. Thomas Aquinas. Tell tell me more about him because I don't know if he's he's fairly new as a DB recruit. Over the last right. what nine right, months? Right. Yeah. So the first time I saw Javante Royal was I was uh, St. Thomas Aquinas was uh, practicing for the state playoffs there in like no, late November, and I I, uh, I went out to watch. You know, I can't remember who I was interviewing, and for about the first ten minutes of practice, I was I was watching this guy, and I'm like, oh, this is Jordan Battle. Well, it turns out it was Javante Royal, and they just had flipped him over from wide receiver because there was a log jam at wide receiver, and I was talking to Roger Harriet, and they're like, no, that's that's not Jordan Battle, and if you guys don't know, Jordan Battle is the top 100 safety who ended up signing with Alabama. They're like, that's Javante Royal. We're going to try him out at DB. So he's really green to the position. Uh, Miami offered him, oof, I guess, a few weeks ago. I think it was to put some pressure on Marcus Clark a little bit uh, to commit, and, and he did. But the thing with Javante Royal is he's so new to the position. I, I, I guess I should say defense in general that he's an intriguing guy. I think he can maybe play safety. Uh, he can maybe be a striker for the for the Hurricanes. Um, so Miami wanted to kind of get in early on him, and if he has a just just knowing that if he has a big senior season, then a lot of people are probably going to try to offer. So uh, he's he's a guy I'm going to have a, a close eye on. Uh, I know for a fact that the folks in uh, in Coral Gables were pretty impressed with what they saw uh, at, during his spring game because he uh, he locked up. I, apparently, he locked up Marcus Roseme. I was there. I don't really recall that, but I, I know that was one of the reasons why he was offered. Okay, very interesting. I guess we'll wrap this up here, Andrew, with uh, so at 24-7 Sports, the initial 2022 rankings are out, and those are those are what, rising sophomores? Is that right, Andrew? Yeah, rising sophomores, so just played their freshman year. And, uh, you know, number one player in the country in 2022, according to 24-7 Sports, is a a local stud, Shamar Stewart, defensive end. Tell us more about him. Yeah, I think you saw him uh, at one of Miami's camps in June with me. When he was checking in, I remember he was standing next to all, all uh, of Miami's coaches and some of the current defensive linemen. I'm like, who the hell is this like junior college kid? They're like, oh, this is Shamar Stewart. He's a, a 2022. So, um, yeah. you know, he was real impressive in those drills. We passed along the evaluation notes, and I think my or 247 liked what they saw on film and uh, – 
uh, go ahead and, and, and made him the number one player in the country. I mean, he's 6'6", 236. Uh, the good news, uh, I mean, all the big boys are, are going to be coming for him, but Miami's got him on campus multiple times. I think he likes uh, Coach Diaz. But uh, going to, if you look at that uh, whole top 100 rankings, I think – uh, what really stands out to me is there's 12, 12 kids from Florida ranked inside that initial top 100. Miami got seven of them out to Paradise Camp, and wow. uh, I think, yeah, you know, that's that's to me that's impressive. I mean, we always want to talk about which which seniors are there or which rising seniors, uh, and everyone wants to compare lists to what Florida and Florida State are doing. But I think secretly, Paradise Camp has turned into uh, a kind of a rising stars camp, and, and yeah. Miami does a great job of getting kids out there. No, Shamar is definitely a freak. And, you know, like you alluded to earlier, he's a guy like just physically body type wise, like he could pass he could pass the eye test as a 2020 recruit. So a rising senior, he definitely looks like a dude and he's still got what, two or three <laughs> years left of high school. So he's the number one player in the country right now. And I fully expect him to continue to be a five star, to be honest, by the time all things are said and done. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I think he's definitely going to be up there. Um, Tell me about others. Others, uh, yeah, others. I mean, there's a few others in there too that I definitely think we should mention, just because this is kind of a a pro Miami school a little bit. Is uh, Miami Southridge? They got a pair of defensive linemen there, Daniel uh, Lyons and Deontay Anderson. Uh, Those are two kids too that are like super, super long. And me and you have gone on record before saying that we think the the 2021 class in Miami Dade is the best it's been in a while. But I think if you put uh, Shamar and, and these two kids at Southridge in that Miami Dade class, they're they're still top 10 players in the county if you moved them up a classification. So that just shows how deep it is uh, going to be for the next next few years down here in South Florida. So yeah, that that concludes our first inaugural podcast. Uh... Or inside the U and 24-7 sports here, I guess, between me and Andrew. And yeah, I think it went well. Like I said, bear with us as we continue to get our footing here in the podcast game. And, you know, if you enjoyed it, subscribe, like, review, give us five stars, all that good stuff. It definitely helps. Uh, and yeah, we'll, we'll keep it going, Andrew. Yep. Check us out on Miami.247sports.com. We'll talk to you guys next time. Take care.